0: We've skipped a bunch of chapters, and uh, so what I've decided to do is um, when this, when my rotation is done, uh, when when it comes back around, I'm going to go back and pick up on chapters that we've skipped, so we will work through the whole book of Luke eventually. Uh, so, anyway, that's just to let you know what, what the plan is. We have been looking at Luke in four different sections. The first one, introduction to the Son of Man, the ministry of the Son of Man, the rejection of the Son of Man, and now we move in to the last section of the book, the crucifixion and resurrection of the Son of Man. So let's pray and we'll pick up in verse 26 of chapter 23. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness to us and your patience with us. We thank you that you don't hide, you've showed yourself for all that you are in your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask for your wisdom to be fixed on him, that you would be glorified. And in this time, as we're together in your word, again, to be fixed on Jesus, to listen to you. Thank you, Lord, for not being silent, but for speaking. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, simply titled, This Lesson Change, because this this is the narration of Christ on the way to the cross, and the different encounters that he has with individuals and the change that was brought into their life as a result of these encounters. And then I want us to see with these that this is, this is the norm for Jesus. This is, this is the reality for those who have placed their faith in Christ because of what Jesus has done on the cross that we should be living a life of change. The word change, according to Webster... Uh, simple definition, to make different in some particular, or to alter, it's uh, to make radically different, so transform, and then to give a different position, course, or direction. Now, back when I was an NFL fan, I won't get into why I'm not right now, but back when I was, I was a big New Orleans Saints fan, because I grew up in Louisiana, and I I grew up in the years of the, the bags on their heads, and they were called the Aints instead of the Saints, and Yes, and, and, you know, it was, it was frustra- frustrating. Yes, sir? And who doesn't like Drew Brees? Well, I'm, I'm having trouble with him right now, but, uh, it's <laughs> but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, so, for years, frustration. And uh, then, all of a sudden, they not only made the playoffs, but they actually got to the Super Bowl, and they were the underdogs. At his hill, they have a big Super Bowl party. I showed up, my family showed up in our New Orleans Saints gear, and everybody else in the fish house, the students did it on purpose, were dressed in the Indianapolis Colts uh, paraphernalia, and they had decorated blue and white and had put all, these, all this food out that matched their colors, and they gave me a hard time. I sat there with my daughter through the first half, and, th- and I was dejected. You know, I knew they were the underdogs, but I didn't expect it to go this bad. And, and they were razzing me the whole time. The guys sitting off to my right were giving me a really hard time. And Lauren leaned over. She was, she was uh, I guess, 12, 13 at the time. She leaned over and she says, I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, what do you do? It's okay. And, uh, and traditionally, we always only go for the first half. Second half, we go home because I get tired of all the noise and I want to concentrate on the game. And uh, but uh, Lauren says, are we going to go home? I said, nope, I'm going to sit right here and take it. I'm not going to just, you know, I'm not, not, not going to walk off like you know, my tail between my legs, not going to do it. Then all of a sudden, if you're a football fan, you know what happened in that first play of the second half, an onside kick, which is ridiculous. You don't do that. And it worked. Saints got the ball drilled down the field and scored. And the things were getting better and getting better and getting better. And the students were getting quieter and quieter. And then there was the interception. And for a touchdown. And I jumped up on my, my chair. And I started yelling at the students. And pointing my finger at them. Yelling, who that? Who that? Who that?" And they just sat there. And you know, someone put their heads down like this. And I enjoyed it. I mean, there was such a change in my demeanor. Because of what had happened on the field. Now. That's the idea. A completely different demeanor should be our reality and of course, a much deeper, more meaningful way because of what Christ has done on the cross. But my point being, there should be a change in our demeanor, a change in the way we think, a change in the way we behave. So starting off in verse 26, we read, when they led him away, they seized a man Simon of Cyrene coming in from the country, a place, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus turned to them, turning to them said, "Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves." And for your children, for behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him. rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, so twelve noon, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what was happening, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee We're standing at a distance seeing these things. So the changes that we see throughout the chapter, again, we're in chapter 23 for those that are just coming in. In verse 26, we see an individual who has a changed day. Simon from Cyrene. uh, The the whole idea of carrying the cross was, was was to humiliate the one who's being crucified. And we think about this and and, and try to get the context of it. You know, Christ, who has done nothing wrong, but he's carrying the weight of all of our sin and all of mankind. He's been beaten, literally ripped apart with the whips. He's been stripped down. And now he's forced to march through the city in front of everybody, carrying the device that he will be killed on. And it's at this point that he's obviously just so physically depleted that Simon is given the assignment, pulled out of the crowd, and the cross is placed on him. Siren was an African from Cyrene, of course, and he, which was about 800 miles away. So I'm thinking, and it says that he came in from the country. So it would appear that he's recently arrived, and I just think what a trip would have been like back then, an 800-mile trip. And he gets there, and right away, this is his assignment. Now, he was part of a large crowd. There were thousands of devout Jews who had came from all over the world to worship at the time of Pentecost. We know this, are at the time of, of the Passover. We know this to be true because of Acts chapter 2. But also... According to Warren Wiersbe, we have good reason to believe that Simon was converted because of this encounter with Jesus. Mark identified him as the father of Alexander and Rufus. So, in, it, when, when you read that, it would appear that Paul expects, or Mark expects, his readers to recognize these names. We know that uh, Rufus was uh, was greeted by Paul in Romans chapter 16, so he was part of the church there. And so it's possible this is the Rufus that's being um, addressed. Now apparently, from all of this, it would appear that Simon and his sons were well-known believers. So we start to see what happened to this man after this encounter with Christ. This is not what Simon expected that day. This was not his plan. This was not what he had traveled 800 miles for. But it does show what Jesus can do in our lives when encountering humiliating situations. And how did his life change? It would appear that he became a believer. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do we understand the change that should be ours? Are we, do, are we living the change that should be ours? No matter what kind of humiliating situation we've been found in, or no matter what kind of, uh, of humiliating stuff we know that goes on in our heart, do we understand the truth of us who are in Christ? In, here in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6, I want to start in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Do we we live this reality? We need to learn to associate with what is true of us who have placed our faith in Christ. And what's true of us is that we have been washed. We have been cleansed. We have been sanctified. We have been changed. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In chapter 2, the writer is describing mankind and what our life was created to be, yet we don't know it. So in verse 8, he puts it like this. You have, been, you have put all things, God has put all things in subjection under his mankind's feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. We know from creation in chapter 1 that we were created to rule over this creation. We know in chapter 3 of Genesis, we messed that up. And here at the end of verse 8, he says, We do not yet see man living the way he was created to live. It's not the end of the chapter. This would be a hopeless ending, but there's, there, there's nothing but hope. In the rest of the chapter, in verse 9, But we do see him. We don't see man living the way he was created to live, but we do see him, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely, Jesus. Because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death, and that means experience, it doesn't mean just sample it. Taste death for everyone. Because of the death, this journey that he takes to the cross, and we see at the end of this chapter, he goes through with what is that? Of benefit to us. Well, we see him, Jesus, living as man was created to live. And what's our benefit in this? Verse 14, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation a satisfactory payment for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, and here's the phrase, he is able to come to the aid of those who, are tempted. Verse 8, we don't see man living the way man was created to live. Verse 9, but we do see him, Jesus, verse 18, who is able. Do we understand the change that is ours who place our faith in Jesus because of what Christ has done on the cross? We had a student come to us one time years ago. He called Charlie up. He said, "Uh, listen, uh, I'd like to come to Bible school. I have a couple of friends that went there. Uh, I'm not a Christian, uh, but I've got some things I need to work out. And if I pick up on some of this religion stuff, well, that would be fine too. And Charlie told him we're not looking for perfect people, but for people whose hearts are ready. And so come on. Now, he was an interesting student. He was a professional hockey player. At 19, he was given, uh, he, he was already playing in the highest division of the minor leagues. He w- already had a l- very lucrative contract, and they were about to bring him in to the NHL. So he was on his way. His, par- his father was, was very wealthy, and his father sent him an allowance. So he had this incredible contract and an allowance coming to him. He had the vehicles, and he had all the toys, and traveling around the country playing in the minor leagues, uh, he, was, um, you know, he, he had all, the, um, all that, that kind of lifestyle offers. He had it all, and he was on his way. Well, as a student, we were sitting watching a game one time. I asked him, do you know any of these people? And he kind of snickered. And he got up, went over, and he pointed them out. I know him and him and him and him, and this guy was my best friend. So it was an interesting life. Why did he walk away from it? See, in all that was going on, it was such an, you know, he had all the advantages that the world had to, to offer. As he was about to go to the NHL, he got a phone call that his mother had terminal cancer. And at 19, it just devastated It was not what he expected. Not what he had planned on. He called his manager up, who was a believer, told him what was going on, and said, I want out of the contract. I don't care what it means. And he said, his manager said, okay, we'll get you out of the contract. It will mean a lot. And what it meant was he was never allowed to come back in. Once he'd made that kind of commitment and they had paid that kind of money for him, they made sure that he was not coming back into the league. And his manager told him, I think you're doing the right thing. So he went home and he spent his mother's last few days with her. After that, he was just devastated. And so out of desperation, he knew a couple of couple of boys who had gone to his hill. So he thought, well, maybe that'd be good for me. So he showed up. And long story short, I've already made it pretty long, but to to go ahead and cut to the quick, Charlie and I, it it was interesting as he would ask us questions. And I got to tell you some of it. He, he came up to me after the very first class of that semester, and he said, he, he told me what was going on. And he says, you know, I, I, need to, I need to deal with some issues in my life. I need to fix some things. And if I pick up on some of this Christian stuff, then that would be good too. And I looked at him and I said, you know, man, you could be successful, and you really could be successful in fixing a lot of these things in your life, but you will still be as miserable then as you are now. He's a, he's a defenseman, okay, a hockey player defenseman, and he looked at me and he said, he, he bowed up, he says, you better explain that. And so I did, and he could tell that he was really taking in what I was saying. His need for Jesus and what Christ had done on his behalf and what he was willing to do right now for the rest of his life. And I could tell he was, he was hungry for this. The Lord was working in my heart, Don't you dare, don't you dare try to make him make a decision right now. Growing up as a Baptist, that was a very hard thing for me to do. (laughs) And so I watched him walk off, and I remember praying as he was walking off, saying, Lord, are you sure? He'd come and talk to me sometimes, and, and then he came to me this one time, and he says, Kelly, I'm ready. I looked up, and I knew exactly what he was saying, but I pretended I didn't, and I said, ready for what? He said, I'm ready to do that entrusting my life thing to Christ. I said, really? And he says, this was a Friday afternoon. He says, but you're busy. So I'll come back on Monday morning. And the Lord just worked in my heart, don't you dare. And I just sat there just biting my tongue and watching him walk off. Lord, are you sure? <laughs> then we, uh, he came back on Monday. You can bet I was in my office on Monday. All afternoon, you know, students used to complain that you're never in your office. I was there. He showed up, and he says, I'm ready. I said, okay, let's get in the car. We drove down. The only place you could go at that time, go to Dairy Queen, and we we sat at one of the tables, and we talked through what was going on. The Lord worked in my heart again. He says, don't you dare say, repeat after me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just the Lord's work in my heart. Don't you dare do it. I said, okay, Lord. I looked up. Charlie was sitting at another table studying with his steak finger basket I asked Charlie if he wanted to come over so he sat down next to me and told Charlie what was going on I looked at our student I said listen just talk to the Lord just tell him what you've told me. I'm so thankful that I didn't tell him repeat after me. I wish I had recorded it. <laughs> it was unbelievable this person just pouring his heart out to the Lord he says, Lord, I have had all the advantages of life. I've had everything I've ever wanted, and it's not enough. I can't do anything about it, but you have. And so Jesus, and these are his words, I entrust my life to you. Have your way. He ends the prayer, I look up, sorry Charlie. Charlie's sitting there crying like a baby. Because the, it was just so pure. It was so genuine. And I'm just really thankful to, to, to be able to, to have witnessed this. And to see a change in a person like that. Do we understand that he has changed us? We are not what we were no matter what embarrassing, no matter what humiliating situations we may find ourselves in, no matter that our day has not turned out the way we planned it, that we have been changed. Now, change is not always something to be excited about. We see here in verses 27 to 31 a changed perspective. These women, this really dominated my study time this week. Verses 27 to 31. Hey, Kelly. Yes, sir. Before you go on, I yeah. think you're here. The rest of the story? The rest of the story? Oh, yeah he w- he went uh, he went home he uh, you know hockey was over with and he didn't care um, he uh, he ended up uh, going to work for his father and last I heard he was doing well so. sorry <laughs> thanks for asking <laughs> so the change perspective these women they didn't really dominate again they just dominated my study time there's There's so much that's said about them, and there's very little that that theologians agree about them. Uh, I I went to many sources, and there were different opinions on these women. You know, some of them being uh, these women were followers of Jesus. These women were not followers of Jesus, and then it's really important because they went on to questions and their applications from what they believe to be true about these women. Uh, We know from uh, from the IVP Bible Background Commentary that they're they're described there as pious women of Jerusalem and that they often went to mourn the executed, providing a narcotic drink to dull the victim's pain. Uh, Nationalistic Jews would sympathize with the fellow Jews being executed by Rome uh, considering them to be revolutionaries. So this was a, this was a common practice for the, the women to, to be following those who were being executed, uh, mourning and trying to minister to them. Again, there's so many different opinions as to whether or not these women were followers of Jesus. So with actually, just after a couple of days of trying to work through this, I realized that really... I'm only left with what the passage says about them. And then I started to realize that's a good place to be left. What does the chapter say about these women? Well, I lean toward the thought that they're they're, they're not followers of Christ Um, because of their simple designation in verse 28 as being daughters of Jerusalem. And the reason I think that's a big deal in this chapter because also in the very same chapter toward the end of verse 49 the women there are, are recognized as women who accompanied him from Galilee. So there's a designation here. So what's going on? Well, I appreciate what um, Matthew Henry said with this. You know, I, I I love these old theologians. They are just straightforward, black and white, and they're not really so concerned, like so many of us, including myself, are with you know how palatable is this? <laughs> how can I dress this up? He goes and he says it like this: When Christ's mm-hmm. sorry, when Christ's own disciples sorrowed after a godly sort for his li- for his leaving them, he wiped away their tears with the promise that he would see them again, and they should rejoice, John 16, 22. But when these daughters of Jerusalem bewildered him, only with a worldly sorrow, he turned their tears into another channel. And he told them that they should have something given them to cry for. He had, late, he had lately wept over Jerusalem himself, and now he bids them weep over it. Christ's tears should set us weeping. Let the daughters of Zion, that own Christ for their king, rejoice in him, for he comes to save them. But let the daughters of Jerusalem, that only weep for him, but do not take him for their king, weep and tremble to think of his coming to judge them. So I'm left with this. It's better... To suffer abiding in God's will with Jesus than out of his will, for there is victory in Jesus. In verse 28, Jesus turns to them and he says, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. It's better to suffer with Jesus than to avoid the suffering as a believer. Turn with me to to chapter 19. In chapter 19, beginning in verse 41, we read this. Speaking of Jesus, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day even you the things which makes for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, And surround you and hem you in on every side. They will level you to the ground. And your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. And catch this. Because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Because they do not recognize Jesus as Christ. This will come upon them. And we believe this to be reference to Jesus speaking of what is coming of the destruction of Jerusalem, which would be an utter destruction of the city and the people who were there. Turn, with the same thought, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter, he's addressing these believers and he doesn't want them to back off. He doesn't want them to to, to hide from the certain persecution that will be theirs. Jesus says in John chapter 15, if they hate me, they will hate you. In chapter 4 and verse 12, we read this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, Those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. There is certainty for you and I as believers. There is certainty for those who abide in Christ. My brother-in-law has been an incredible example to me of someone who will dare to trust Jesus despite the circumstances he faces. He has been a great example to me of this. As a young man, a young husband and father, he was an accountant, a CPA. He worked for a large firm and handled a lot of accounts. He was uh, assigned to what was the largest rail company, railroad, largest rail company in Canada to uh, work with their finances and their taxes. After sitting down and meeting with the two owners who were believers, he was very disturbed because what they wanted to do was illegal. What does he do? He's a young man, just really getting started. What does he do? He went back to the firm. He talked with the partners about it. The partners could tell he was disturbed. And they were a little nervous about him being disturbed because this was a very, big account so they their advice was just let it go but if you can't do what you think you should do but we don't think you should do it (laughs) just that spineless type of leadership and so as a young man he was left only only before the Lord knowing. What do I do? He he was left with just being before the Lord, making the decision with him. So he goes back to the rail company. He sits down in front of the two Christian owners, and he said, I'm a believer. I cannot do this. The outcome, he was made head of finances for the largest rail company in Canada these two men called him up just as he had gotten back to his office, and they said, listen, we're believers, and what you have done has challenged us, has sobered us. You're right. And so he was given this incredible job, and as a result of that job, he was then offered a very, uh, very high position in the largest rail company in the United States. Offered an office downtown New York, and he turned it down. Because he believed it was more important that he be a present father and a present husband than be a successful businessman. And I was thanking him for that years after he had done that, made that decision. I was just thanking him for that, you know, that example. He laughed. He says, you know, I never told you the end of that story, did I? I said, no. What? He said, three weeks after I said no, they terminated the position. Really? He was ridiculed for not taking that position. He, people thought he was an idiot for not taking that position. Unlike those in Jerusalem who did not recognize the time of Christ's visitation, my brother-in-law, Jeff, recognized the time of Christ's visitation. We need to take on a changed perspective. Do we recognize the visitation of Christ? Have we been changed? Do we dare trust Jesus in the midst of what seems to be an insane choice, are there any thoughts before we keep going? Our questions, or any help? Okay, well, let's keep pushing. We'll see how far we can get. So, Jesus brings about a changed perspective, and he also brings a changed destination. Dealing with these two criminals, and I think it's interesting the way it reads. You know, after, it just kind of throws it in there, verse 32. After talking about the women weeping, his response to them, and then before going on to to describe the crucifixion, in verse 32, Luke just throws it in. Two others also were criminals, were being led away, or who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. And I think perhaps what he's doing is he's just showing us the darkness of this moment, that Jesus Christ, the perfect man, is, is being so humiliated, he's put at the same level as these men who go on and describe themselves as being criminals, deserving of the death penalty. And Jesus is being associated with them. He's being put with them. But there's a change that comes for one of these men. And uh, verse 32, we already saw that. In verse 39, beginning in verse 39, we read this. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered in rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise first we see there is an acknowledge he is an acknowledging criminal (laughs) i deserve this but you know as as i was reading it then you know it's it's amazing to me Say he you know it's necessary for us to see ourselves for who we are but in seeing ourselves for who we are do we see jesus for who he is So often, it's hard for us to get past ourselves isn't it. I think of Moses, the burning bush. You know, 40 years living in the wilderness after the first 40 years being what they were. And those first 40 years, he thought there was something in himself. He wanted to do the right thing. He believed that God would use him for the deliverance of his brethren. And so he went out to try to accomplish it, being the man that he was as a prince of Egypt. Incredible credentials. Hist- history tells us he was even a successful general in war. He was a very capable man. But he ends up he ends up running away and shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, our flock, goats. So now he's at the burning bush, and what does he do? His first question when he comes face-to-face to, face to God is, who are, you? who are you? No, first he says, who am I? So he recognizes... Yeah, his, the, the, he, he recognizes himself for who he is. But now, after 40 years in the wilderness, he's learned to move beyond that. And asking the question, who am I, his next question was, who are you? And that's when God introduces himself as I am. Here, the criminal sees himself for who he is. But in seeing himself for who he is, he sees Jesus for who he is and dares to ask him to be remembered. And what does Jesus respond with? A changed destination. Today you will be with me in paradise. The word means a park. This is a dramatically opposed place compared to where he is at this moment. He's hanging on a cross. He's suffocating. And Jesus tells him, What I have for you is diametrically opposed to what you have now. In closing, let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. You know, we find ourselves in these horrible situations. We know we have put ourselves there. We beat ourselves up. We come up with elaborate schemes to try to fix the situation. They fail. We never know the peace that we're looking for. We never know that relief that we're looking for. We never know that forgiveness that we so desperately want. We think there's no way I can go before a holy God until I've gotten rid of this. Whatever it is. And... This man hanging on a cross who has lived a despicable life knows this to be true of himself, sees Jesus hanging on a cross and knows that this man is my hope. Asks to be remembered and paradise is promised. This is beyond what this man could ever have done though he was searching for. Beyond what we could ever do, though we search for in our good behavior and our good deeds. But do we understand this in verse 20 of chapter 3? Now to him who is able. We talked about that before from Hebrews. He is able. To him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to finish with a story. I am without a doubt the worst golfer you have ever met in your life. I'm even worse than Charlie. But Charlie's really getting it for me today. Uh, For those of you who came late, I pointed out the fact that, you know, with all the changes tables taken out, that Charlie's table was the table that was not taken out. I'm going to have to take Charlie to lunch this week. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. Again, I am the worst golfer you've ever met. I have a slice that is unlike any slice you've ever seen. Uh, I mean, I aim here and the ball lands over here on a regular basis. So I play my slice, for those of you who know what that means. I play my slice which means I will aim this direction. problem with that, one out of every seven swings goes straight and I never know which one it's going to be. One time Charlie and I are with Chris Thomas and I aimed this way, and Chris, really good golfer, he speaks up and says, uh, Kelly, Charlie says, no, just watch this. <laughs> and it was bad. I, uh, so Anyway, I'm up in Canada one time, and I want to play golf with my brother-in-law, and he calls me up, and he says, hey, listen, my business partner and I are taking one of the clients out, do you want to go with us? I said, yeah. He says, now, look, this isn't like what we usually do. We're not just going to a municipal course. We're going to the country club, and it, uh, you have to uh, dress a certain way. I said, okay, I've got that. Okay, well, we'll pick you up. So they picked me up. Now, th- you got to understand something, that my brother-in-law's business partner is a, uh, is a very wealthy man. Okay, We're, he's that's extremely wealthy. And he comes from one of the richest families in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's just, just a different different world. Pulls up in his brand-new car, and you know, they, they, I get in. While, as we're driving to the country club, you know, he's doing business on the speakerphone. When he gets to the big numbers, this is way before everybody had cell phones, a big speakerphone in the car. When he when gets to the big numbers, he picked up the headset. I thought the numbers he was talking before were pretty big. We pull into the country club, and these, these young men come running out of the country club. They run up to us. Mr. Block is the business partner's name. Mr. Block, welcome back. It's so good to have you with us and welcome to your guests. May we carry your clubs for you. He says, why certainly. He hands them his clubs. And you know, they've got thousands. My my brother-in-law is bought his his partner and their client have thousands of dollars worth of clubs. I'm carrying the $25, the $75 community set that the family bought at the at the at the pawn shop. And so I hand it to him, you know, he's carrying my bag and thinks this is ridiculous. I walk in to to pay for the green fee, and I look up, and I've never seen a green fee like this before in my life. I'm thinking, this blows the vacation budget. Arlene and I and the kids are going to be sitting in front of my mother-in-law's television for the rest of the vacation. Arlene is going to kill me. Then I find out because I'm with Mr. Block, the green fee is only $25. Oh, so I give him $25. (laughs) Now, while this is going on, I forgot to tell you that there were four young men that ran up to Mr. Block before we walked in to pay the green fee, and they said, welcome back, Mr. Block, and welcome to your guests. Would you like for us to clean your clubs for you? He says, why, certainly, and so he hands him his clubs, so we all hand them our clubs. Mine are old, $75, and they were rusty. I know the kid's in there cleaning them thinking, I'm getting squat for this, and he did. <laughs> We walk out, and this this other older gentleman, he comes up and says, Mr. Block, you and your party are welcomed, but you're a little early. So what we've done, if you're interested, we've set up some spots for you at the driving range. Mr. Block says, yes, he says, follow me. We go to the driving range. I've never, this is unbelievable. Not only did they have four spots for us, not only did they have the balls there for us, they had them pulled out for us ready to hit. Uh, this is crazy. I'm looking around for who's going to hit it for me. You know, This is unbelievable. And I'm, I'm standing there. I'm watching these guys. Mr. Block, everything's 300 yards straight. My brother-in-law, Randy, everything is about, it's about 270, 275 straight. Their client, everything's about 260 to 270 straight. And then there's me. And I'm standing at the end of a row of about 20 men. I hit the ball. And it takes off and it goes like this all the way across the driving range, all the way across the street, into the vacant lot next door. Every man on the row is looking like this. Like, Who did that? And I'm, I'm standing at the end of the row left with just, I just wave to everybody. He says, okay, so he tells me what my handicap is. He says, let's all play our handicap, and let's play a quarter a point. Now, I'm not a gambler, and I, I'm sorry to say that I succumb to the pressure, and I said, okay, let's do it, because I figured at worst, I'm going to owe a buck fifty. I shot 163. Now, for those of you who know nothing about golf, what I just said is absolutely, absolutely impossible, but I did it. I lost 12 balls on this game. Three of them off the same tee into the water. I lost all of my balls and started losing their balls. <laughs> when the game was over with, we sat in the, in the restaurant in the, um, in the dining uh, area of the clubhouse, and Mr. Block's figuring out how much everybody owes him. He looks at my brother-in-law, Randy, he says, Randy, you owe me 75 cents. Randy says, okay. He looks at the account, and he says, you owe me... 250. He says, all right. And he looks across the table at me and he says, Kelly. And he took a long time working it out and figuring it out. And I'm just going, oh, my goodness. And Randy, my brother in law looks over at me every once in a while. You can see his sympathy. This is going to be ridiculous. And finally, he looks up at me. Mr. Block does. He takes the scorecard and he wads it up. And he says, Kelly, let's forget it. And I said, OK. <laughs> he threw it away. And then he said this, let's eat. When he said that, I didn't realize what was going on because I was so fixated on this. I was so sick at my stomach at what was going on. I didn't realize it was a group of people standing in a circle around us. This is the kind of, I mean, this is a different, <laughs> this was different for me. And as soon as he said this, let's eat, these, these young men stepped forward, and they filled up our glasses with water and then stepped back. I reached up and grabbed the glass and I took a sip, put it down. He stepped forward again and pu- filled it up again. And I, I I I was tempted to just take the glass and sip again and watch this. Unbelievable. My point is this. I was deserving of the punishment of paying Mr. Block what I owed him. But he forgave. And I was brought into fellowship with him in something that was beyond what I had ever known before. And I enjoyed that meal like I had never enjoyed a meal before. Just a simple story, simple illustration of the change that is yours if you've placed your faith in Christ. The change of your destination and, guys, that should affect the way you live today because of Jesus and what He has done on the cross. Your destination is changed. You are His, and fellowship with Him is your reality. Now you know what our students always have to deal with. I've gone way over time. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for your change in Christ. and We ask for your wisdom to live changed today. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We'll finish this up next week and then we'll go on to the resurrection.